0: Just
1: north of Columbus, Ohio, this is the CNN New York Times Democratic presidential debate. Senator Warren, we've proposed you've proposed some sweeping plans, free public college, free universal child care, eliminating most Americans college debt. And you've said how you're going to pay for those plans, but you have not specified how you're going to pay for the most expensive plan, Medicare for all.
0: Your signature, Senator, is to have a plan for everything except this. The difference between a plan and a pipe dream is something that you can actually get done. You're 78 years old and you just had a heart attack. How do you reassure Democratic voters that you're up to the stress of the presidency?
1: We are going to be mounting a vigorous campaign all over this country. That is how I think I can reassure. This is Radio Atlantic. I'm Isaac Dover. So the Democratic race has been going on for months now, but the only major shift has been the rise of Elizabeth Warren and the relative decline of Bernie Sanders. As of this week, Warren is polling consistently as the frontrunner, and she was certainly treated that way on the debate stage on Tuesday. Uh, Sanders' campaign has been struggling, and it's not just because of that heart attack, although that heart attack came a couple weeks before the debate, enough time that he had a chance to recover but also enough time that people were wondering when he walked down onto stage, what kind of shape he would be in. Turns out he was in good shape. And over the course of the evening of the debate, news came out that he was going to be endorsed by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the congresswoman from New York, and of course, the Democratic superstar. So here we are about 100 days before the Iowa caucuses when the voting starts. It's Getting to a more serious phase of the race, more serious time of the Democratic Party trying to figure out exactly what it's doing here. So what does the race really look like now? What are the dynamics driving and especially as this Warren and Sanders movement happens? That's why we've got Elaine Godfrey. who's an assistant editor here, also covers Democrats here at The Atlantic. to Talk with me. Elaine, thanks for being here on Radio Atlantic.
0: Hi, Isaac. Thanks for having me.
1: So I was in Westerville, Ohio, for the debate, I got to see it as live as one gets to see these things. They're in another room and then they come in to talk to the reporters and do the spin room afterwards. But you uh, were in a very different place for uh, the debate. What were you up to?
0: So during the debate, I was in Arlington, Virginia at a bar, a sports bar, in a private room with about two dozen Bernie supporters. Um, And I had set that up as kind of a, you know, it was Bernie's first major public appearance since his heart attack. And so it was me being like, are these supporters still behind him? Are they worried at all? Are they anxious? And uh, it it turned out that they were a little bit anxious. Yeah. When I asked them about it, they all said totally reasonable question. He's a 78-year-old guy. He had a heart attack. You know, we were all a little bit worried about it. But sort of as the the debate went on, they got way more confident. And in the end, everyone was like, he did great. He's fine. It's all set. Bernie's back, baby. Yeah.
1: I think it was one of the striking things about the debate. And uh, <laughs> there were people who were joking around beforehand, sort of a dark way. Oh, what if he collapses? But yeah. In fact, the news of it is that he didn't, and that he was in really good form, right? Uh, and I think you could argue in better form than people who are uh, younger than he was, including uh, Joe Biden, who stumbled at a bunch of points, and Sanders did not, and stood there for three hours. It's a three-hour debate. It's a long time for anybody to stand there. So long. It was, so long. <laughs> it <laughs> it was, was lo- so long. It was a long time for me to sit there, <laughs> and I didn't have to do anything.
0: <laughs> I know. Yeah, he he looked great. He really did. Um, As soon as he, I think he was trying to get the moderator's attention, he shot his hand into the air like he does. Um, And everyone in the bar cheered and shot their hands into the air. They were clearly just extremely encouraged by his energy and his, you know, he cracked some jokes. Um, It really was a good debate for him. You know, like you, you just would not have known that, you know, two weeks ago he had... A stenting I mean,
1: procedure. Yeah, he was sort of looser than he usually is and yeah. certainly than he has been at the he debates overall. He laughed like four times. Right. Like
0: he was, yeah, super casual. It was it was impressive.
1: So let's take a step back here. The Sanders campaign was not in great shape before the heart attack. It's not just a question of the health. He mm-hmm. has been uh, lower in the polls than he had been certainly planning to be and wanting to be mm-hmm. uh, well behind Elizabeth Warren, well behind Joe Biden, who are in the top spots. But of course, the Warren one is the interesting question, because people usually see them as drawing from the same place, even though they really don't. Uh, But they are both on the lefter side of the party. How much trouble was the Bernie campaign in, do you think, before the heart attack?
0: So I think they were in a little bit of trouble. It didn't seem to me um, like We're nearing the end of the campaign, right? I don't – to be fair, though, I don't know when, if ever, he will drop out before (laughs) – like, I think he's in it to win it, basically.
1: Well, or he's in it to be in it. That's the other part of this is that there was – in 2016, and I covered that campaign a lot, there was a part of the campaign that was about actually – competing for the nomination but it was sandwiched between when he got into the race to try to push Hillary Clinton to the left and then as it started to work then he went oh well maybe he could actually win and then they were pushing that and then it reached the point where they were still kind of pushing for uh, the uh, ideas that they wanted and uh, and not really thinking that they were going to win the nomination. They knew what the math was. There came a point where they realized that their biggest influence, if they kept pushing in a way that was uh, still winning delegates but not going to compete, was to be able to shape the platform at the convention, and that became the goal. And then they, in fact, did that. Uh, And, of course, everything that's flowed out of the 2016 campaign from his influence on the party sort of stems from that.
0: Totally. I mean, they were debating Medicare for all. The top candidates have all adopted Bernie's 2016 ideas, right? This is, you know, he has already had this amazing uh, power over, you know, the conversation and and how it's taken a shift. I I do think, though, you know, he's he is still in it to win it. I think he really thinks he can do it.
1: But at the very least, he has enough money that he will be in this as long as he wants to be exactly right and the support is strong with him uh people who are ready to be in this for as long as he is in it
0: Mm -hmm. you know part so part of the reason why i went to this debate watch was to say did you have did it give you pause when he had a heart attack did it make you think okay who's my plan b and they said you know yeah it made us worried but (laughs) you know we're here for the revolution right like we're here and the political revolution is bigger than he is it's his campaign slogan uh not me us right yeah. um it's it, they even said several people actually said to me if he gets elected um and, and he's in office and he dies in office after a couple of years dies in office the, the appointments that he's made and the the changes that he's made already, you know, having been president for a couple of years, means the revolution will live on, basically. Um, and they said, you know, we expect him to appoint a young, likely female running mate to sort of address that in case he dies. Someone, someone young can carry on the revolution, which I thought was a really interesting and morbid way of looking at it. It
1: is this uh, – yeah, campaigns always say it's not about me and, and right. that is his slogan. But right. it's a strange thing for a campaign – to have supporters who say, like, yeah, you might die, but that's okay. Like, exactly. w- <laughs> And yeah. that it's really not about the candidate, it, but it's this idea. It's a cult of personality in a way, but the sense that the personality is bigger than the body that is holding that personality. Right.
0: And no Elizabeth Warren supporter that I've talked to, whatever, <laughs> I don't think, would ever say – you know, she, she dies, but her her ambitions will, will carry on, you know, if she's elected president. Like, I just don't see that. <laughs> that that's just right. not thing. Or the other
1: person who is just around Sanders' age, uh, Joe Biden. Yeah. You do not hear anybody who is supporting the Biden campaign saying, so like, well, that's OK, we'll just get him in. And even if he doesn't last a term, like, that's fine. Right, yeah. right.
0: It'll be OK. <laughs> yeah, it's a crazy argument for someone. But but at the same time, it's, it's interesting that they're – you know, unprompted, right? I didn't ask them. Will the revolution go on? They have they have given this thought, which is fascinating. Yeah,
1: and and as the debate was going on, mm-hmm. the news broke and was quickly confirmed that uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez uh, will be endorsing Sanders, appearing with him at this rally on Saturday. Uh, he'll also uh, – he was immediately endorsed by also Ilhan Omar, congresswoman from Minnesota, and uh, Rashida Tlaib, the congresswoman from Michigan, uh, three of the four members of the squad. The fourth mm-hmm. member, Ayanna Pressley from Massachusetts, is at least so far sitting out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, – but these three very prominent young, female, progressive – aggressive members of Congress, Mm -hmm. freshman members of Congress, uh, will be with Sanders. What do you think that that means for the campaign?
0: I think the campaign is extremely excited. His supporters are extremely excited. Um, What
1: is it about it that excites him? Because to me, what's interesting about it is that it is a clear sign that he's not going anywhere. Yeah. Right? That, and that seems to be, it's not like anybody's surprised, oh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, how could she have possibly landed yeah. uh, in supporting Sanders? It, 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 most people thought she'd either not make an endorsement or would endorse Sanders or Warren. It was not like she was really up for grabs in a big way. Right. But doing it now has risks for her i think but it also is the best news for the sanders campaign
0: totally i mean he he's at his weakest point or he was right like he's physically weak he has had a heart attack he's struggling in the polls like this is a real um move for her to say i still endorse him for all of them to say i still endorse him um and i think i think had she endorsed warren which i don't I don't think she ever would have. I think she would either – it's either Sanders or nothing is what I was expecting. Um, But had she endorsed Warren, I think – I honestly think it would have been it for Sanders. Like you can't – how do you move on from that? Um,
1: And it's interesting when you go to their history that last year when she's running, she's in that primary against an incumbent. uh, Democrat had been there for a long time. Sanders did not endorse her in that race. Yeah. Uh, And – She was connecting with his politics, with his supporters, in a lot of ways, invoking him, but he was not behind her. Mm -hmm. And then when she won, then they very quickly got together and they took this tour of a number of congressional districts campaigning, uh, and uh, everyone that they campaigned for lost the primaries in the end. Mm -hmm. So they they have a little bit of a history of this. uh, Not working, uh, but... That there is this now infusion that she can give the campaign. Mm-hmm.
0: One thing that I am curious for your thoughts on is how her endorsement of Sanders over Warren could further divide the left. Right. I mean, there's already this sort of hostility between Warren and Sanders supporters. You know, Sanders supporters are purists. They're very uh Warren used to be a Republican. She was a Republican for 30 years. Sanders has believed this stuff his whole life, um, you know, et cetera. Uh, and and I'm, I'm wondering if people will think, you know, well, AOC endorsed Sanders. That means he's the bona fide pick for the left. Um, I'm curious if you yeah. what, what you think.
1: I mean, it's I don't know that the divide is as simple as just a divide, right? That, that when you talk to Sanders supporters about Warren, there is that level of antagonism. Yeah, sure. the, the Warren supporters don't have that same kind of antagonism towards Sanders, in part because a number of the people who are supporting Warren were with Sanders in 2016. Right. And I've heard from them when I've been out on the trail, yeah, you know, I liked Bernie, but his time has passed or he's a little yeah. um And not in a very negative way, right. but just thanks for your service, essentially. Uh, but we're moving on to the next thing. Right. The Sanders supporters do not feel that way about Warren or about people who support her. They feel uh, a sense of betrayal, Mm -hmm. uh, a a sense of uh, this is a a fight to the finish, essentially. Uh, There is still bad memories for them about the fact that Warren didn't endorse Sanders in the 2016 primary. That's a real thing that still comes up uh, and that she wasn't on the team then. So how could she be trusted? Uh, Remember, she endorsed Hillary Clinton the evening that Bernie Sanders went to the White House to meet with Barack Obama uh, when it was all done. That was like the end of the primary officially. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So she waited until the end. She didn't endorse Clinton, but she also didn't endorse Sanders. And that is... uh, the the division seems to me like it may be of more significance to people who support Sanders than uh, it will be for the the Warren campaign.
0: Yeah, it's 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 interesting. There's there is just more hostility from the Bernie wing towards the Warren wing that I think this AOC endorsement could definitely exacerbate.
1: Where does that leave the rest of the race? Do you think when we see this going on with Bernie Sanders staying in the race? maybe getting stronger again. Uh, certainly, it seems like physically, at, yeah. <laughs> at least for all appearances, getting stronger. Yeah. Uh, Warren continued to be strong. Uh, the It is just unquestionable at this point that she has taken over the top spot from Biden in the attention she's getting in the polls uh, and the fundraising. Uh, so that's going on. Biden is holding on to his position. But then there are all these other people, I don't think it's right to call them moderates exactly, but they're the others who are there who are trying to find the way through it.
0: Yeah. I mean, Buttigieg isn't really a moderate necessarily.
1: I don't really think any of them are moderates. Sure. So, uh, you know, the, uh, of the candidates the running and, and uh, some of the ones who get called moderates, I think, fairly push back on that. Yeah. Amy Klobuchar saying, I'm not a moderate if I don't believe in... Medicare for all, that's just I'm being practical about it. Of course, one of the people who doesn't believe in Medicare for all is Sherrod Brown, senator from Ohio, who has probably (laughs) the most uh, uh, clear progressive credentials other than uh, maybe Bernie Sanders. Um, But he's been in the Senate uh, for the same amount of time, been in Congress, uh, fighting on a lot of things that have made progressives really happy. But what his argument is about Medicare for all is it can't really pass. Uh, And so... Democrats should focus on doing things that will actually get done. That's not so different from the argument that uh, Michael Bennett or Amy Klobuchar make about Medicare for All or Pete Buttigieg or or Joe Biden. And and that's the kind of thing that gets them called moderate. It's really kind of weird to me that at some point in the run-up to this race, in people's minds, being a progressive Meant that you had to support the Green New Deal, which is a resolution that <laughs> does not have any depth of legislation behind it or legislative language in it. Uh, n- nobody knows exactly what the Green New Deal would be. Right. Uh, and Doesn't Medicare really for exist. All, <laughs> which we all know uh, would be hard to pass, and which, at least at this point, from Sanders and Warren, or from anybody else who's behind it, has no clear structure of how it would be paid for. Mm-hmm. So to chase these <laughs> two uh, ideas is what makes one a progressive or not in a lot of people's minds. But so let's not use the term progressive or moderate. Mm-hmm. The, the other candidates who are not Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren.
0: Well, in the debate, they finally and rightly got in there defenses, right? It felt like the first time, and maybe it's just because I haven't (laughs) been able to keep that close of track of the past debates um, because they're so damn long. But this one, I mean, you had Klobuchar and you had Buttigieg even more um, defending themselves against Warren by saying, we have bold ideas too. Just because we don't support Medicare for all doesn't mean we don't care about working people or uninsured Americans.
1: Right. Klobuchar had that line that I thought was her best line of the night, where she said to Warren, your idea is not the only idea.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And I thought it was really good criticism of Warren that hasn't happened yet. Um, She hasn't really faced that on the stage yet, Um, clearly, because now she has emerged as a front runner and and people are getting anxious. But also, I think because people can sort of smell the blood in the water when it comes to, you know, Biden and, and Biden's Floundering, I think they're kind of vying to replace him, right? Like Buttigieg um, is clearly trying to fit in that, and I'm, I'm, he and Klobuchar were way more aggressive um, on Tuesday, in I think hopes of picking up some Biden supporters, picking up some supporters who don't want Medicare for all and don't don't want to do a Green New Deal that they don't fully understand uh, yet. Yeah, I'm curious actually, what you think? Do you think Buttigieg is that character
1: i think the shift that's happened in the primary race and it was cemented in the debate is that this was for a long time a race to be the alternative to biden Mm -hmm. people that now it's going to get down to two people eventually who's the one who can be there with biden yeah and then as warren got stronger and now has reached this level it actually has become who can be in the race with her yeah uh and, of course, Biden is the person most likely to be in that position based on where the polls are. Right. But the sense that he may not make it continues to power people. Now, it should be said that from the day that he got into the race, people have been expecting him to fall apart. And every day that's gone by, he has not. Right. But he also hasn't really moved up. Uh, and he continues to have a lot of issues. We'll see what the political impact from The impeachment inquiry here is and whatever uh, positives and negatives for him come out of the uh, questioning and attention to uh, his son and what his son was doing. But the play here for everybody politically, it seems, is, okay. Elizabeth Warren will be there. I'm the one who can go up against her. Yep. And that's, again, where Biden wants to be. That's where Buttigieg was trying to move in to be. That's where uh, Klobuchar was. That's where everybody else on stage was. That's where was Harris was. was. Yeah. That's where Booker was. Uh, and that is really it. The only person who did not take a real swing at Warren, I thought, in an interesting way, because he was teed up to take a swing, was Julian Castro, who has uh, not been doing as well. Uh, he had a moment or two of... Uh, good times earlier in the summer, mm-hmm. but his campaign is not in great shape. There is a lot of a sense that he might be a potential running mate for Elizabeth Warren and so the moderators turned to him at one point and said, okay, <laughs> what do you think about that? And he uh, did not attack her. Yeah. Uh, and that seems to be the calculation that he's making at this point.
0: I-, I think you're totally right. They're all vying for this spot to run against Warren. <laughs>
1: Let's take a quick break. We'll be back with more in a moment with Elaine Godfrey. And I just want to say, as a great, as a great New Jerseyan Yogi Berra said, I am having deja vu all over again. I'm having deja vu all over again, first of all, because I saw this play in 2016's election. We are literally using Donald Trump's lies. And the second issue we cover on this stage is elevating a lie and attacking a statesman. That was so offensive. He should not have to defend ourselves. And the only person sitting at home that was enjoying that was Donald Trump, seeing that we're distracting from his malfeasance and selling out of his office. And
0: I'm happy. Deja- back to Back to Joe Biden. I thought it was really weird that he was asked about Hunter and he sort of said, you know, we did nothing wrong. But then Cory Booker chastised the moderators for even, you know, asking the question because he said, this is what Trump loves to see. And I just I think that's so weird because this is the moment when you when you address that stuff. Right. This is when you're supposed to be if if Biden has the best shot right now of being the nominee, maybe you you got to get that out now. Right. Like this can't become for Democrats. This can't become another emails thing or a you know, hundreds of thousands of dollar speeches thing.
1: Yeah. Um, I think that for Booker, it was particularly interesting because he has been pushing this message of bringing people together and that he's bigger than any of the fights. I tried to get him after the debate in the spin room to take a shot at Warren. I said, she doesn't seem like she's being uh, as straightforward as her usual brand is on Medicare for All. What do you think of that? And he said, look, I'm not going to get into that. Uh, and the most that he did was say, I'm just running on my own utter candor. That's the word, the phrase they use, utter candor. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> OK. But he wouldn't go right at her. Of course, after the last debate, uh, when Julian Castro took the shot at Biden over his age, Booker afterwards in the spin room made a comment about how a lot of people are wondering if Biden can go the distance. Uh, And that was at that point in the race before the whistleblower complaint had come out. A lot of things have happened since the last debate. Uh, And since then, he's moved into this – Bring people together in defense of Joe Biden move, which I don't think is a play to be picked as vice president. I think it's them trying to figure out how to calibrate him into the race and and say things that are aggressive, but not things that are uh, off of his message of bringing people together.
0: Right, not attack, not yeah. not be a an attacker. I see that. Um, I, you brought up Warren and and her taxes on the middle class. I'm curious. So so. Warren has continued to dodge this question. She has. She, she will not say she, – she won't say exactly what Bernie said at the debate, which is, yes, we're going to raise taxes on the middle class, but other costs will be down. No more premiums. Like, costs will be lower. Um, but I'm curious why it's even necessary that she has to say that.
1: I, I think I wrote about this after yeah. the debate. I think that she has put herself forward as a truth teller as a straight talker, as the person who can break down economic ideas and sell people who aren't progressives on why this progressive idea makes a lot of sense. She does it on every other thing. And on this, she refuses to, not because she is clueless. She's a smart person. She gets the politics. She does not want to provide the soundbite to people saying, yes, I'm going to raise taxes. Uh, and she doesn't want to play the game. She. But this is the game now every single time that she gets... In front of a reporter, it seems to me someone is going to ask her what about raising taxes yeah. until she says what she's going to do. And the Warren campaign seems OK with that uh, in the conversations that I've had. I, I think it's confusing and I think it's potentially more damaging than uh, just about Medicare for all because it really goes at her brand. It goes at who she is. Why when we know it's not like this is a mystery. Yeah. The answer is clear taxes will go up yeah overall costs, if it all works out as it's supposed to would go down the other part of it is that i think people aren't really being fully honest about is how likely medicare for all is right and this is something that bernie sanders would say that Elizabeth Warren would say that all the other candidates who've endorsed Medicare for All, uh, including Cory Booker, who signed on to Bernie Sanders' bill, including Kamala Harris, who signed on to Bernie Sanders' bill before she distanced herself and put out her own plan on it.
0: Right.
1: The idea that there is anything close to a majority of votes in the Senate for Medicare for All is not based in reality. Right. And I think that that is something that progressives need to grapple with, that There are these ideas that can be the ideal, the objective. But what happens if they get into office, if Bernie Sanders is elected president, if Elizabeth Warren is elected president, even then the chances of this happening are not high. So what do progressives do in that situation?
0: That's the question, right? I mean, ostensibly, they're shooting for the moon because they know they're not going to get there, but they'll get close, maybe. Um, I mean, yeah, even even Medicare for all who want it or whatever is a, is a stretch like this is it's going to be tough. Democrats aren't likely to win the Senate. This is not.
1: But even if they won the Senate. then Sure. Not...
0: Would the Senate vote for it? Right. Yeah. I mean, because
1: and winning the Senate is not about just the majority. There, there are uh, probably a majority of Democratic senators currently who are not ever going to vote for Medicare for all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's the same with free college, right? If if Bernie is president and he's promised free college and Ilhan Omar is tweeting all this stuff like, you know, it's going to be gone. Your debt's going to be gone. I mean, people are going to be disappointed. Um, but I don't know where progressives go from there. How do progressives, young progressives who are really getting jazzed up about Sanders and about Warren, what's their reaction? I don't know. It's something supporters of Bernie and, and Warren really haven't Talked much about. Um, it's something I've asked about, and they've they've said mostly it's about shifting the conversation to the left, which Bernie has done really well since twenty sixteen. Right? They think that that's potentially more important than actually the plausibility of it.
1: So the other thing that's going on is that this is all happening against the backdrop of everything else that is happening.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. It's right? wild.
1: Uh, and I'll tell you that sitting. In Westerville, Ohio, in the debate, watching this go on, it felt sort of being in a parallel universe where, okay, we all show up and we get our credentials and sit down at our seats and watch these Democrats debate. And there were 10 or 15 minutes at the top of the debate about impeachment. But then it moves on and it's just a debate where this is all happening and the world uh, has a lot of other things going on, including the fact that the president is... At the cusp of impeachment, the showdown between the White House and Congress is becoming a constitutional crisis. It's not even to mention things like, I don't know, climate change, (laughs) Uh, what's going on in Turkey and Syria, which, again, was touched on in the debate, but then quickly moved past. Does the Democratic primary race have anything to do with the reality that America is living through? That kind of a sigh is not a yes. (laughs) I just don't know how to answer that.
0: I mean, it is this big looming thing. And I think it's weird for the 2020 candidates to even talk about it because they want to beat Trump at the ballot box. Right. They support impeachment, you know, procedurally. But I think I think it's probably weird for them to think about. Right. Like we don't actually want him to be unseated because we want to run against this guy. That's what our campaigns are about for, for a lot of them. But I will say the, the weirdness also, you know, stretches into uh, when I've been with um, supporters of Warren and Sanders, who I've primarily uh, written about, they don't talk about Trump at all, ever. Um, very occasionally during a debate or, or, or a question or something, they'll, they'll bring up Trump and, and how much they hate him. But they... They see the election as not really having anything to do with replacing Trump um, or, or or less to do with replacing Trump and more to do with a movement. So I'm wondering how much Trump and impeachment actually comes up in, you know, a Harris rally or among Buttigieg supporters.
1: It doesn't. I, I was one of those people who in the spring when the Mueller report came out and the cable news chatter was, oh, what are they going to talk about on the trail now that the who was saying, well, they haven't really been talking about it so far, so it's not like they lost their whole talking points. It comes up, uh, an impeachment comes up. Uh, I was in South Carolina about a week and a half ago with Kamala Harris and Tom Steyer. Tom Steyer, who, of course, made his name in politics of late uh, on impeachment. And even then, impeachment is not the main thing that people are talking about. They want to hear about more than that. And I think that that's part of why you saw Steyer in the debate Uh, say, yeah, I was for impeachment before anyone else on stage, but here are other things that I'm going to talk about. Right, here's my other, yeah, (laughs) here's other issues, yeah. Uh, And it it is not something that people really want to focus on. I think that that is in part because if you think about the kind of people who show up to a Democratic event, they, at this point, just given where things are, obviously support impeachment. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's where that's where the politics of this has gotten. The, the people who are self-selecting to go on uh, a weekend or an afternoon or an evening to an event with a candidate and wait for a long time to get in to see some. All right, those are people who are really far into the Democratic base for the most part. And uh, and so they want Trump out of office or at least want their candidates talking about Trump being out of office. Uh, but I think depending on the candidate would come up more, Harris, of course, is trying to rediscover her prosecutor for president uh, sensibility. And it's more advantageous for her to bring it up at this point. Right. And she does. But she has been doing it in a way that I, I think is interesting. And you heard a little bit of it on the debate stage, where she talks about how the Ukrainian foreign aid that Trump was withholding was American taxpayer money and that Trump was doing that to sell out the American people for his own ends and that, that and that, that is the same thing essentially as him selling out the American people to benefit his businesses, him selling out the American people to uh, give a tax cut that went more to the wealthy than to the uh, middle class and working class. Uh, and she has this whole sold out thing that she does. That's how she links it in. But even she's not like, this is the questions that I would ask <laughs> in a Judiciary Committee meeting. She does some of that on Twitter and elsewhere. But uh, it's not it's not the dominant force.
0: Right. And I, I do think for someone like Harris, the more she can talk about Trump and talk about how she would handle Trump is, it's good for her. Um, I think people can picture her beating Trump or in a debate with Trump. I think the same with Buttigieg also, um, you know, like outwitting Trump. Uh, but I think people struggle when it comes to someone like Warren being in a debate with Trump. Um, and I think that's why she rarely talks about him on her.
1: Why do you think that? Why do you think people struggle with the idea of Warren debating Trump?
0: I think part of it's a sexism thing. Uh, But I also think the perception of her among some voters is that she has a a school marmy persona, a bossy kind of condescending uh, vibe that voters don't like or aren't going to like. And that next to Trump, who's essentially like the school bully, like – isn't going to go well for her. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of voters, at least voters I've talked to, are worried about that. Not Warren supporters. Warren supporters think she'll be just fine.
1: Well, it sort of barrels ahead now to the more serious phase of the race almost every day, uh, 100 or so days until the Iowa caucuses, and then a month from the Iowa caucuses until Super Tuesday. It's going to be uh, crazy and crazier times of that. But uh, it starts off with the next sort of gating event of the next debate in November. Uh, so far, we have eight candidates who have qualified, eight, eight of the 12 people who were on the stage. Nobody who is not on the stage is qualified for the November debate. And there are four who have not. We'll see if they do. The four who were there in Ohio who may not make it to the debate that's in Georgia are O'Rourke, Klobuchar, Castro, and Gabbard. So, uh, as the field starts to shrink, maybe... These questions start looking different, and we'll have to check in another time. That's right.
0: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we'll have more to talk about, Exactly, uh, I'm sure.
1: Uh, so, Elaine Godfrey, thanks for being here on Radio Atlantic.
0: Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
1: That'll do it for this week of Radio Atlantic. Thanks to Kevin Townsend for producing and editing this episode, and to Catherine Wells, the executive producer for Atlantic Podcasts. Our theme music is The Battle Hymn of the Republic, as interpreted by John Baptiste. You can find show notes and past episodes at theatlantic.com slash radio. If you like the show, rate and review us in Apple Podcasts and subscribe in your preferred podcast app. Thanks for listening. Catch you next week.